Today I'm kicking off a new summer sermon series called Encounters with Jesus. This will be a series of nine sermons. It will go until the middle of August out of the Gospel of John about Jesus' encounters with various people. There was a film that came out back in 1964 called The Gospel Blimp. It was a funny satire, even though the acting was terrible. Uh, I find that Christians often aren't good actors and actresses, but that's probably a good thing. But in this film, it was a a satire about misguided, well-meaning Christians who wanted to share the gospel with their town. And a bunch of them got together in the backyard of this man to strategize how they could reach their neighbors. And right at that moment, a blimp went by. And one man had this idea. Hey, let's buy a blimp and use it to preach the gospel to the entire town. And so they raised money. They bought land for the hangar. They built the hangar. They bought the blimp. The whole operation required a corporation, a board of directors, an office, and much more. And one of the guys who came up with the idea quit his job and went full time with this blimp. Eventually they hired a PR agent. They finally got the blimp airborne. And then they began tossing out thousands and thousands of cellophane wrapped gospel tracts all over the town. People got kind of annoyed having this litter all over their yards. And then They outfitted the blimp with a loud PA system and they started blasting gospel music and gospel messages all over town and people thought it was even more obnoxious. One day, a guy who was on the board of the blimp decided to leave the board. And meanwhile, the board sees him as going to the beach on Saturday with some of his neighbors, his beer-drinking neighbors. And they're concerned that He's becoming worldly. But by the end of the movie, he and his wife have led a number of their neighbors to Christ. But the blimp crowd still doesn't get it. They're oblivious. The message of this movie is that one of the best ways to share the gospel is just person to person. With your neighbor. Befriend your neighbors. Spend time with them and give your testimony and bring them to church. That's one of the underlying messages of our text today in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. John is the writer of this gospel. He was Jesus' closest disciple, and he wrote about the time between A.D. 70 to A.D. 90, and his audience is a mix of Jews and Gentiles, some that he wrote to did not yet believe in Jesus. And so he describes the purpose of this gospel in John 20, 31. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, the first encounter that we are focusing upon today is his encounter, Jesus' encounter with his first disciples, Andrew And then his friend, who we believe to be John, who wrote this gospel. And then Simon. Now follow along as I read John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. This is the word of the Lord. 
The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Thus far the reading of God's word. Well, in the Gospel of John, it begins with a prologue as to how Jesus is the word who became flesh. And then the narrative starts, and it starts with John the Baptist. John came to bear witness of Jesus, to prepare the way for his ministry. And as we read in our scripture reading, we saw how a group from the Pharisees came to John the Baptist asking who he was. And John denied that he was the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet. But he said he is the one that was prophesied about in Isaiah 43, crying out in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. And he was not worthy even to tie the sandal of the one who was coming after him. And when Jesus then showed up the next day, he exclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then John sees the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus and remain on him. And then he gives another testimony. He bears witness that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. And then we come to our text today, which is the following day. And we're going to see, through Jesus' encounter with these men, how he is the Lamb of God. He is the great teacher. He is the Messiah. And he invites those who are seeking to learn of him. And when he reveals himself, believers cannot help but go and tell others and bring them to him as well. And those who encounter him by faith are changed forever into the people that God has called them to be. Well, the first point that God wants us to see in our text is John's witness of Jesus as the Lamb of God. Look at verse 35 and 36. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The idea of the Lamb of God runs throughout Old Testament redemptive history. I guess it begins in Genesis chapter 22 when God called Abraham to go to Mount Moriah and offer his only son Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham goes in obedience and on their way up the mountain, Isaac asks his father, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham replied, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And at the last possible moment, right before he was about to take Isaac's life, an angel stopped him, and he heard some rustling in the bushes behind him, and he turned and he saw a ram caught 
in a thicket. God had provided a substitute sacrifice for Abraham's son. And this is the idea that underlines the atonement of Christ for our sins. Jesus acts as our substitute. And on the cross, God pours out his wrath on him for our sins instead of for us. The scriptures say that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. God provided his own lamb and accepted his life as an offering for ours. And likewise, the Lamb of God is certainly prefigured in the Passover in Exodus 12, when God prepared to give the final plague on the Egyptians, which would be the death of the firstborn of every male. He instructed his people to take unblemished lambs, to kill them and to spread their blood on the doorposts of their homes and he promised to pass over those homes just as the blood of those lambs caused the people of Israel to be spared from the wrath of God. So this lamb, the lamb of God, redeemed his people through his blood shed on the cross. He received the penalty that was due their sins. And we see this idea carried forth in the tabernacle and in the temple, the sacrifices of lambs, unblemished lambs to provide atonement for the sins of his people. And then Isaiah prophesies about the coming Messiah in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid upon the iniquity of us all He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so this statement, this title, the Lamb of God, makes it clear that Jesus came to meet man's greatest need, the forgiveness of sins. And the gospel centers on Christ being our sin bearer. There's no way of getting around this idea that Christianity is a bloody religion. Christ's blood cleanses us from all of our sin. Jesus being in the Lamb of God was such an amazing statement to these two disciples uh, that they heard on this second day when they saw Jesus They were drawn to follow him. And this leads us to the second point God wants us to see in our text. The two disciples seek Jesus as rabbi. Look at verse 37. It says, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. This word for follow is a once for all action. It means that they did not follow him just to make a general inquiry, but they gave themselves to him. They followed him as his disciple. And then in verse 38, it says, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So as the two approached Jesus, or as Jesus looked back and saw them following him, he asked them this interesting question, what are you seeking? Not who are you seeking, but what? And he's undoubtedly 
responding to what they had heard John testify about him, that he was the Lamb of God. Did they know what that meant? Did they know what it meant to follow him? What were they really seeking? Well, Jesus wants them to reflect on that, but he doesn't press them for an immediate response. They don't really know the answer. They begin to answer by addressing him as rabbi, which is translated from the Aramaic teacher. It was the customary form of addressing uh, teachers, the, the disciples addressing their teachers, and it actually meant my great one. Jesus is commonly applied uh, to this title in the Gospels. Even Nicodemus, who was a scholarly rabbi, addressed Jesus as rabbi. And this is followed by a question from them to Jesus. Where are you staying? They can't answer yet, what are you seeking? But they want to be with him. They want to perhaps answer that question by spending time with him. And then we come to the third point that God wants us to see in our text, and that is Jesus' invitation to see what they are seeking. Verse 39 says, He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. The disciples had been aroused by the testimony of the Baptist that Jesus was the Lamb of God, and they wanted to have some uninterrupted time and conversation with Jesus, and they got it. They're invited to go with him at once, to see where he was staying, to be where he was staying. And that began their close relationship with Jesus. And it's interesting here that John recalls the exact time when this occurred. He says it was the 10th hour, which means 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And so that was the day when their lives began to change, when they started spending time with Jesus. And this leads us to the fourth point that God wants us to see in our text, and that is Andrew's excitement to tell and show Jesus the Messiah. Look at verse 40. It says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Have you ever been introduced as so-and-so's brother or so-and-so's sister? You know, maybe your sibling is well-known in a certain circle and you're introduced that way or you introduce yourself that way and everybody goes, oh, yes. So you're so-and-so's brother or sister. Well, that was Peter. Peter was well-known at this time when the gospel was written. And so Andrew is introduced as Simon Peter's brother. But here we notice something very special about Andrew. Although he is the lesser known of many of the disciples, he becomes so impressed with what he found in Jesus that he becomes, you could say, the first missionary. Notice the zeal Andrew had for what he had found in Jesus. The first thing he did after spending time with the Lord was to go and find his brother and tell his brother, we have found the Messiah. And John, once again, interprets what that means, the Christ. Messiah was the anointed one, the promised anointed one of the Old Testament who was to come and be the Savior of Israel, 
who would come from uh, the, the clan or, or the, the family of King David, who would be King David's greater son, who would, who would reign on his throne someday. Well, the Jews misunderstood these prophecies. They thought a militaristic leader was going to come and deliver God's people and sit on the throne of David, establish his kingdom once again. But really, the prophecies talk about the Messiah coming as a servant to provide salvation, spiritual salvation, through earning for us righteousness and forgiveness of sins and bringing us into his spiritual kingdom by conquering our enemies of sin and death and the devil. His earthly king would, kingdom would be established when he would return. And you see, this is John's passion in this gospel. So that people might understand what it means that Jesus came as the Messiah. The disciples had to learn this. They didn't understand it at first. In fact, they didn't completely grasp this idea of Jesus' Messiahship until after the resurrection. But Andrew was excited. We have found the Messiah. Like he had won the lottery. Like he had found the pearl of great price, the true treasure. And he's zealous to tell his brother. Came across a story of a man who was a, a normal guy. His name was Edward Kimball. And he was a Christian. And God put it on his heart to witness to a shoe salesman that he had just bought shoes from the other day. So he went back to the store one afternoon and he was very nervous. He didn't really know what to say. He knew he just ought to talk to him about Jesus and the gospel. And so he mustered up the strength to walk into the store and he found the young man shelving shoes in the stockroom. And he later remembered that he spoke with limping words. He said, I could never remember just what I said. I said something about Christ, something about his love, something about our sin and how he died for our sins. But God used his testimony and brought this young man to Christ. Now, what's so significant about that story? Well, this shoe salesman was Dwight L. Moody. He went on to be one of the greatest evangelists in history. Moody's ministry had a massive impact on America and Britain. He founded the famous Moody Bible Institute and the Moody Bible Church. Millions have been affected by that ministry. But this was one time an illiterate unbeliever, a shoe salesman. And one humble, timid Christian man was faithful to share his testimony and introduce that person to Christ. Well, you see, Andrew is overshadowed in the Bible by more famous disciples like Peter, like James and John. But I would say that there are no more glorious words written about anyone in the Bible except from Jesus Christ than the words spoken about Andrew in our text. He first found his brother. He shared with him, we have found the Messiah and then he brought his brother to meet Jesus. He didn't tell his brother how to drink out of a fountain. He brought him to the fountainhead. The first part of verse 42 says, he brought him to Jesus. This is one of the great privileges that we have as believers. To be his instruments to bring 
people to Christ. And that leads to the last point that God wants us to see from our text, and that is Jesus shows his authority and power to change Peter. Look at the second half of verse 42. It says, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, Jesus shows that he knows Peter. He knows where he comes from. He knows his upbringing. He knows his name. And back then, in biblical times, names stood for the whole person. But then, he says, you shall be called Cephas, Peter. What an odd thing for Jesus to do. The first time he meets someone, he recognizes who they're called, but then he gives them a new name. Where do we find this in the Bible? Well, in the Old Testament, God did this with several people. When he gave them a new purpose, when he changed people by his grace, he would sometimes give them a new name. We think of Abram, how, was, how he was given the name of Abraham, which means father of many nations. Sarai was given the name Sarah, which means mother of all nations. Jacob was renamed Israel, which means power with God. So here, Jesus renames Simon to Peter. And Peter means the rock or the stone. See, Jesus is exercising his authority as God, calling Peter to a new allegiance, a new life, calling him to have a rock-solid faith who would be solid and steadfast in testimony and ministry, who would be transformed by Christ to be strong, and his declaration of Christ would be a rock for the church. Jesus gave him a name, not based on his past, but on the certain potential of his future in Christ by grace. He named him what he was going to make him to be by his grace. Well, so we have seen Jesus' encounters with these first disciples. We've seen how Jesus invites Andrew and John who are seeking to spend time with him. And then we see the impact that Jesus has had on Andrew and then Simon. So what? What does this encounter with Jesus and his first disciples us tell us today about how it should make a difference in our lives well let me give you four application points very quickly john the baptist baptist recognized that jesus was the lamb of god that takes away the sin of the world jesus was coming as our substitute to earn for us righteousness and atone for our sins that is the gospel That's the main reason that the second person of the Trinity left heaven and entered into this world as a man and took on a human nature and yet without sin. He came in order to provide us with righteousness. And he came in order to suffer on the cross in our place for our sins. You know, when believers get to heaven, one of the eternal refrains in worship that we will exclaim over and over again is what we sang earlier worthy is the lamb and so I ask you a very important question this morning have you received Jesus as the lamb of God the gospel 
is about forgiveness of sins. The gospel is about being made acceptable to God. We are not naturally acceptable to God. We are unrighteous, and God requires perfect righteousness. We are sinners, and God requires payment for every sin. And so we are doomed without God's grace. But this is the gospel. Have you acknowledged that you owe a debt that you cannot repay? Have you acknowledged that you can't be righteous enough for God? Have you acknowledged that Jesus came to be your atoning sacrifice, the Lamb of God, the sin bearer, to bleed and suffer and die in your place for your sins? You must turn from relying on any self-righteousness or thinking that you can be good enough to God. You must turn from believing that and turn from living for sin and rely on who Jesus is and what he has done alone for our salvation in providing us with righteousness and forgiveness of our sins. He came to live in your place, to die in your place, to rise in your place. Secondly, Andrew and his friend John were seeking by God's grace. And they needed to spend time with Jesus. And Jesus invited them to where he was staying. Come, and you will see. And after that encounter... They were never the same. Jesus invites everyone to personally discover Him as Savior, as the Lamb of God, as the ultimate teacher, as the Messiah. And so if you are seeking this morning by God's grace, He invites you to spend time with Him. Now, how do you spend time with Jesus? He's in heaven. Yes, but His Spirit is here and dwelling His people. And He speaks to us through the Word of God, the Bible. And so spend time reading God's Word. Start with the Gospel of John and He will show you who He is as the Lamb of God and the Messiah. And for those of us who are believers, we get distracted and busy in this life. We forget to spend time with Jesus in His Word and in prayer. We forget the priority of doing that every day and even of coming once or, or more times a week to be with God's people and to worship with God's people. But you see, if we have communion with Christ, we will desire further communion with Him. And He calls us to come and spend time with Him, to grow in our experience and intimacy with Him. He invites us to come and see and find that He alone is what our hearts long for. So, point number two. Are you looking to Him as your teacher? Your ultimate teacher? Are you staying with Jesus? Are you abiding in Him and His Word? We need Him every day. And Jesus says to us every day, come and you will see. Thirdly, as believers, some of us came to Christ uh, after childhood and we can remember the excitement of that time when Jesus showed us that we're sinners and we needed him and gave us faith and repentance. And he, and he changed our hearts. And we can remember the excitement we had to tell others about what we had learned about Jesus and how he changed our lives and, and given us salvation and how we had a relationship with him. We have the blessings of Christ, but so often uh, we forget those blessings and we're enamored with the world. 
See, the secret to the spread of the early church was that individuals were excited about their relationship with Christ and went and told their neighbors. Now, gospel preaching is important. We, we come to faith by hearing the word of Christ. But personal witness and personal friendship evangelism continues to be an important means by which people are brought into contact with Christ through his word and the gospel. You see, often Jesus builds his church one person at a time through relational evangelism that Andrew here models for us. The church needs a whole legion of Andrews. So let me ask you, point number three, are you excited to tell others about the Lamb of God, the Messiah? We have found the Messiah. Are you excited about that? And, and of course, your particular concern should first be for your family members, like it was for Andrew. He was concerned for his brother. He went to his brother and said, we have found the Messiah. And then he brought him to Jesus. You know, Peter might be called the rock, but Andrew's notoriety was also very important. He was the one who brought people to Christ. You know, the other times we meet Andrew in this gospel, the two other times, he's bringing people to Jesus. What an example for us. Spending time with Jesus in his presence, in his word, in worship, and in prayer will renew our excitement for telling others about Christ and bringing them to Christ. How do we bring people to Christ? Well, actually, we don't regenerate them. I'm not talking about that. We are bringing them into the presence of Christ or bringing them, exposing them to Christ. How are we doing that? We bring them to the Word, to the Word read and, and the Word taught, the Word preached. We, we show them Jesus by the change that has taken place in our own lives and how we serve and, and love them. We show them Jesus by introducing them to other Jesus followers who are filled with the Holy Spirit and who worship and serve the Lord. Fourthly, we've seen from this, test how, this text how Jesus knew Simon. He knew everything about his past and his heart. Jesus sees everything about our past and our heart. But when he drew Simon to himself and began this work of grace in his heart, he gave him a new name. He did not define him anymore by what he was, by, but by what he was to become by his grace. And so believer, you have a new nature. You have a new name. And so I ask you, number four, are you living by your new name in Christ? You're not defined by your old nature or by your sins. You're a new creature in Christ. You are a new man or woman in Christ. Don't let Satan, don't let the world, don't let your old sinful temptations tell you otherwise. Our sins uh, get us down. We will be sinners until we go to be with Jesus. But when we sin, we're to confess them, we're to repent of them quickly and look to Christ and the cross and the forgiveness that we have in Him and the righteousness that we have in Christ. We must remind ourselves that we've been renamed. We are His children. 
We are his sons and daughters. We're his servants. We're his friends. He makes us who we ought to be by his grace. We're not who we used to be. We're to live in our new identity, in our new potential in Christ. All that we have in our union with him, he lives through his indwelling spirit in us. We have his life in us, his power in us, his character in us. We have new family traits called the fruit of the spirit. And we've been each given, if we're believers, a special gift and maybe several gifts to serve him. And we're to think and act according to this new name we have. And we will do this as we continue to encounter Christ. How do we encounter Christ? By using the means that he has given us to grow in his grace. And one of those means is the Lord's table that we're going to celebrate this morning. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we have to be strengthened in who we are in Christ. May you bless this time that we meet with you and we commune with you. We pray in Jesus' name.